Welcome to The Book Alchemist, the podcast which celebrates the magic of storytelling and the joy of great books. In this episode of The Book Alchemist, I'm joined by journalist and feature writer Alice Hines. An avid reader and the daughter of a librarian, we talk all things Sex in the City, Brian Cranston and the books which have shaped her life. Alice, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. Not so. Thank you for having me. Tell me about your relationship with reading, because I know that you're obviously a journalist and you love writing, but you also love reading. Mm-hmm. I think it started so young because um, my dad was librarian for 40 plus years. Wow. So, you know, the entire time I was growing up, every single birthday, Christmas, special event, you got a book Mm -hmm. as your present. And some of my earliest core memories are my parents reading to me. And I think from such a young age, they just instilled this passion for reading and being able to transport yourself to another world just through your own imagination. And I think that's just stuck with me throughout my whole life. And it's not just something for pleasure. It also informs my work as well because you can't be a good writer without being a good reader. That's so cool that your dad was a librarian. You know he started off stamping books you know in your local library and kind of worked his way up and eventually was kind of more in the logistics side but I think that he loved it so much because you get to meet so many different characters in Mm -hmm. libraries. They are such amazing community hubs and that's one of the reasons it's so sad there's been such a massive decline Mm -hmm in the amount of libraries and the amount of funding that's there for libraries. But he worked all over Edinburgh and he actually was working in the college library when him and my mum met. Oh, brilliant. So like there's <laughs> always been this connection. And then my sister went on to work in libraries part-time when she was a student. Love it. You know, so it's always been a part of our lives and something that they've instilled in us very much, both my parents. Libraries are important. Make sure you use them or you lose them, yeah. you know? Absolutely. Gosh, you're so lucky. I wish, I, you know, my mum or dad had been a librarian. Um, <laughs> when you were growing up, so you mentioned your sister. What's the age difference between you and your sister? Seven years, right. quite a bit. So actually, one of my favourite childhood books is really tied to my sister. So there's these books called, there's a series of them. One of them is Sanji and the Baker and the other is Professor Puffendorf and her magical laboratory, I think it's something like that. And um, my sister, when she was babysitting me, would sit me down with these books and she would do, very on PC now, but she'd do all the (laughs) accents and voices throughout this book. And she must have, bless her, she must have gotten very sick of being, you know, 17 and having to read to this 10-year-old or younger probably, doing all these voices and characters. Mm -hmm. But it got to the point that I'd learned the books off by heart. Wow. So I think when I was probably much younger than 10, they thought I'd started to being able to read, but it's just because I'd (laughs) learned almost like song lyrics. I'd learned all of the words in this book off by heart. You know, you would think that I'd want to mix it up, but I just love them so much. (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah. Um, I haven't actually heard of either of those books. Is, Is it the type of book that you could pick up as an adult and you'd still enjoy, do you think? Probably. Mm-hmm. But I think mostly because they also um, have amazing illustrations in uh, them. okay. And I think that's what I loved. They were so, they really sparked the imagination. Mm-hmm. So they're quite short books, but just the characters within them, you could take the images on the page and then the words kind of made you conjure up 
this whole world mm-hmm. outside of what was written. Mm-hmm. So I think if I read them now, they're always the first thing that I buy alongside, you know, Shirley Hughes whenever friends have babies. Mm-hmm. I make sure I always buy books. Mm-hmm. You get too many baby clothes. Oh no, absolutely. Books, books are the way forward. And you don't grow out of books. Exactly. And you can revisit them. I mean, recently somebody recommended to me the rules of Willoughby Chase. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I remember that. You know, I remember the title, <laughs> but I don't remember anything about the book. And then I had a long train journey recently and I went to W.H. Smith and they had a copy of it and I bought it. And it was brilliant. I mean, it was written, I think, in 1962, but it was still a great story. And like the one that you mentioned, it had amazing illustrations, really mm-hmm. dark, but I just loved it. And I thought it made me think, you know, what are the other childhood reads that you could go back to. I mean, I remember reading James and the Giant Peach Mm -hmm. and just being like, wow, you know, (laughs) because it's just so mind-expanding books, aren't they? Absolutely. And you know, it's funny. I think that even when you have books that are for children and young adults, there's there's no reason that you can't enjoy them as an adult. I actually read Adrian Mole, the first book, when I must have been about 22. (laughs) I was going to visit a friend in France and I was travelling by myself and I'd picked up the book in my parents' house or something. And I was like, I'm just going to read this. Mm -hmm. I remember someone gesturing towards it in the airport and they were like, this is a children's book, no. And I was like... (laughs) We? <laughs> yes. What is, your, what is your problem? <laughs> I'm enjoying problem. <laughs> reading about Adrian Mole. And to this day, I would still dip back into those yeah. books. That's so funny. And you went on to study, what did you study at uni? Journalism. Okay. Yeah. So reading and writing, obviously, as we've established, go hand in hand. What was it that made you want to, to be a journalist? Do you know, I think when I was an idealistic 16-year-old, I probably thought that was going to be the next Anna Wintour Mm -hmm. and I was going to be heading up Vogue or something like that. But although that's not really the career path that I went down, I went into newspapers and very much about, very much features and people and their real life stories. I think that's what it was. I always wanted to delve into people's psyche and their stories and understand more about them as a person and their experiences and help them document that. And I think that's probably one of the reasons that I also am a huge fan of autobiographies. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. I feel like people look down on them sometimes, especially when quite a lot of the celeb ones are ghostwritten or, you know, they're not, they're they're seen as a bit more lowbrow than your, your, your uh, literature or your, your, you know. I know. It's funny that because I think biographies get a bad rep for Why? that. Why? However, I'm a huge fan and one of the other guests on the podcast is a lady called Sheila Greer and she has recommended so many great biographies to me and one of which was the story of Biba about oh. Barbara Hanuki who basically set up this iconic fashion brand in London swinging 60s and it was brilliant. So her and I, we're always swapping memoirs of that ilk. What's been you're kind of stand out one of the last few years, do you think? So it's not a recent book, but one that I've actually returned to so many times is Wild by Cheryl Strayed. Oh, yes. Do you know, oh. I've not read that. Heather, you have to read this book. <laughs> is that the one with the film with... Um... Reese Witherspoon? Yes. Now, I hadn't seen the film before I read the book. I quite often, if a film comes out before I watch it, I'll read the book first. Yes, yeah, same Because the book's always better than Absolutely. the film. Absolutely. No matter what, Completely. it's always better. Totally agree. Um, I think that's because you put your own imagination into it. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, films, it's just it's so structured and yeah, limited, yeah. whereas books are open-ended. Now, it is the most... Don't read it unless you're ready to cry. Oh, okay. It's right. a weepy, okay. for sure. But okay. it's so beautifully written. And it's basically the story of this woman, Cheryl Strayed, and how she starts trying to rebuild her life after a lot of trauma. She loses her mother when she's really young, and then she gets divorced, and then she gets a drug habit. And she decides to do this thousand-mile hike by herself. As you do. As you do. <laughs> and has never hiked before. Oh my goodness, right. And um, through the journey of herself and also the journey of her life through the trail and the people she meets along the way and then it flashes back to his like key moments in her life and it just has this beautiful way of describing loss and anger and feeling lost in yourself as well and then coming out the other side of that I mean it's just one of the most beautifully written books it actually makes me very jealous you know when you read a good book <laughs> yeah. as a writer and you think yeah. oh, never get anywhere close to that <laughs> <laughs> no, that sounds great and I think what sounds really appealing about, about a book like that is that you could probably relate to what she's going through you might not be going on a thousand mile trek but you still might be carrying lots of weight yeah. of past decisions and, and things like that. That's really interesting. Okay, so there's that one. What about a celebrity one? Like the one that I keep buying for people time and time again. In fact, there's two. One is Entirely Up To You, Darling, which is by Richard Attenborough. I haven't read that. Oh my goodness, it's so good. So Richard Attenborough obviously passed away a few years ago. He mm. is the brother of Sir David. He was an actor, a film director, famously directed the film Gandhi. Mm -hmm. But he was also one of the first people responsible for commercial radio in the UK because he founded what's now Capital FM. I had no idea. Yeah, so he. it's just a fascinating story. And of course, they're terribly posh and, you know, well-educated <laughs> and filthy rich and all the rest of it. And it's just such a great story because it's it's co-written by his longtime uh, assistant, if you like. And it's just brilliant because he takes you on movie sets and he talks about funding and acting. And, of course, he worked with um, Robert Downey Jr. Mm. They did the screen adaptation of Chaplin, you know, the Charlie Chaplin film. So... It, to me, has everything because there's glamour, there's love, there's loss. You know, he lost um, some family members in the tsunami a few years oh, ago. Really? And it's just it's just a wonderful story. It's really uplifting. And the other one, well, the other person is David Niven. Haven't read that either. Oh my goodness, Alice, you're so in for treats. So David Niven wrote this exquisite biography. There's two the first one is The Moon's a Balloon and the second one is All the Empty Horses mm -hmm. and they are both fabulous because they talk about his experience of growing up, you know, being in the war, learning to be an actor, being on set and it's just, it's just amazing. It's, you know. Do you know, I think that one of the reasons I love autobiographies is because obviously as a journalist I'm nosy to start with. <laughs> so I just want to know everything about people's lives and how they think and what makes them tick. But I feel like, as you mentioned, there's a certain inspiration you get from reading about other people's journeys. Mm -hmm. You know, you can see these people who have become noteworthy enough to have an autobiography that people want to buy. And you see that they make all the same mistakes that you do. 
You know, you're yeah. like, they've had all the same stumbling blocks. They've had the moments where they don't know if they're good enough or they feel like they should choose a different path. And it all comes right in the end, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and it comes this full circle. And I think that you can get a certain amount of motivation from them as well. Definitely. I completely agree. I mean, I think an autobiography or a memoir is is kind of a novel, a self-help mm-hmm. book, a kind of mini movie, if you like, Um in one book. So, no, I'm with you. I'm with you on the memoir front. Out of interest, have you read Elton John's Me? No, I haven't. Oh, for goodness sake. I know. I mean, <laughs> so the two, the two that I always recommend to yes. people, first of all, Cash by Johnny Cash. Oh, not read that. Oh, Heather. <laughs> it is incredible. Really? Right, it's, okay. Even if you know nothing about the country music scene, you know nothing about Johnny Cash or June Carter or anything to do with their lives, it's at its heart the story of a young kid who just has this passion for music that consumes his whole life and it transforms his life as well. And I mean, what could be more inspiring than that? Mm -hmm. There's also this incredible moment, this incredible chapter that stands out to me. He's had this really hard time and um, he's kind of coming through addiction. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that Johnny Cash had a lot of addiction problems. I've seen Walk the Line. It's Yeah. So a lot I've of it takes idea. from the book. Yeah. And at one point, he decides that he wants to end his life. And he goes into this cave complex in the middle of the desert and decides that he'll just lie down and not come out. That's how rock bottom he's gotten. Mm-hmm. And he just so beautifully describes in this chapter he's lying there and he seems to have this I'm not religious Mm -hmm. but he has this religious awakening and he believes that God led him out of that cave complex and he restarted his life and it's been years since I read it but every now and again if I'm having like a moment where I'm like how's this going to turn out I just Mm -hmm. think like even in the blackest of moments you can have your shining light and you'll find your path Mm -hmm. and oh it's one of the another I love to cry at books I think Mm -hmm. like it's another one of those ones it's really moving that's so interesting because he's a very famous musician but you know how did you come across that did someone give it to you did someone recommend it you know I think I'd been watching um High Fidelity the the film with John Cusack and there's a famous Cornby book yes no there's a famous line in it where he says my favorite book of all time is Cash by Johnny Cash (laughs) And I remember like, oh, come on, like. (laughs) Seriously? And I think I then, a couple of days later, I saw it in a charity shop for like 20p. And I was like, well, this is fate. I have to buy it. Meant to be. And I read it in one sitting. It's quite a short book, Mm -hmm. but you could just, if you have nothing on that day, I think that's what, the other thing about books, right? You get so engrossed in them. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to step away. Absolutely. And I think also musicians and people who write music or lyrics, I think, have a a gift. Mm -hmm. So going to pick up a music biography would never be my first choice. Like I probably wouldn't, I would buy other people Mm. the Johnny Cash one. But I bought Me by Elton John, Mm. which... I mentioned to you and oh my gosh it is sensational because I don't know if you've seen the film I have um incredible yeah so I mean the book is even I mean the film is incredible but the book to my mind is even better because when when I'm reading it it's almost like 
Elton John is sat in the room with me and mm-hmm. he's he's telling, you know, it's like he's having a conversation and I'm party to it. Isn't that funny thing about autobiographies and memoirs is that because you probably have heard the person speak before, you have their voice in your head yes. rather than your own narrator, yeah. which you would have for regular books. Yeah. And I love that kind of difference. Me too. Me too. I'm exactly the same. And that's, that's what I love about them. And I mean, I've got loads. I mean, I tend to because I organise these monthly book events, mm. I pass books on. So I love to be able to give somebody else another book and then have a conversation with them about it because I think that is the thing with memoirs, particularly unlike novels, because your imagination can go anywhere, but because you know about the person that you're reading mm-hmm. about, you can conjure them up in their image, if you like. Mm. And you know that the thought about images and characters and who people are makes me think of another one which I always recommend and it's A Life in Parts by Brian Cranston. Oh you've recommended that to me and I bought it for my partner. It is. If you have never watched Malcolm in the Middle, if you've never watched Breaking Bad, you'll still enjoy it. Really? Because that's so good. (laughs) That's the reason why I've not read it because you told me about this before Mm -hmm. and I was like I must buy that for Ross because he's watched Breaking Bad. I haven't seen Breaking Bad. I haven't seen Malcolm in the Middle. So I thought "Mm, I probably won't get this but that's interesting. So what is it about is it the story? Is it how it's written? Like, what is it you love so much? So it's very cleverly written. So rather than, you know, sometimes you can get a memoir and it's very chronological and it just mm-hmm. starts with, I was born in Surrey in 1942. <laughs> you know, there's none of that. Mm-hmm. Well, there is, but it's so cleverly crafted. So each chapter is a different character he's played. Ah, right. So it starts with like his bit parts, uh-huh. um, you know, in his early acting career and him... He comes to LA, he has this motorcycle riding um, journey with his brother, I think it is. And he talks, just talks about being a young guy in his 20s, just having the time of his life. And then you see his life develop with the characters as well. Mm -hmm. So then it goes on to, you know, playing Hal and Mark in the Middle and all the inside stories behind that. Because I mean, it was a huge, iconic show. I remember the show, yeah. Yeah, he actually tells this really funny story and it's what really endeared me to him as well as a person. So in the show, his character Hal does all these little songs and tunes. And I don't know if you know, but every time there's a song or a tune played on a TV show, the person gets royalties for Mm -hmm. it, right? No matter what it is, even if you're humming it. So Ah, he decided that he would hum his own tunes (laughs) so that he would get his own royalties for the hums. And whenever he got them in, it'd be like a couple hundred dollars or something. And he'd spend it on a party for all the cast and crew. Oh, I love that. And they loved it so much that the writers ended up actively (laughs) writing more song scenes in for him so that they would have more parties. That's so good. And I just thought like... What a great idea. Like, oh, you can is. make some money for other people that just is. by doing little ditties in your in Love your it. cast. TV has played a big part in your career up to mm-hmm. this point because obviously... Um, I know that you love Sex and City as much I as I do. And you did your dissertation on Sex and I City. I did, I so did. So what prompted you to do that? So I was doing a really interesting course at the time. So I studied journalism at Stirling Uni. And one of the great things about the course was that you could try not just journalism, you could try all different forms of media. So we did audio and visual, we did 
camera work, we did TV presenting, all sorts of things. Um, And you could do these media studies courses. And one that I chose to do was on gender theory, uh, which is apparently was well before its time. Everyone's talking about it now. (laughs) But um, it was all about, a lot of it was to do with how genders and people and masculinity and femininity are portrayed on screen. And I, at the time, did an essay on Top Gear. Wow, okay. And the representations of masculinity within that. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And it just really got me thinking. And I just started doing my annual rewatch of Sex and the City. Do you do this as well? Absolutely. I mean, you get something new from the show every time. Of course. Depending on where you are in your life. Exactly, what they're wearing, what they're saying, how they say it, you know, the apartments. You know, and... Some months I'm a Miranda, the next month, unfortunately, I'm a Carrie. So, (laughs) you know, she's a prime example of a character that just the writers love, but she's actually awful. Mm -hmm. Controversial? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Lisa is actually my new favourite character from... Love Lisa. And Just Like That. (sighs) And Just Like That is funny because I don't think I'm enjoying it, but I'm still watching it every week. Oh, yeah, same here. Yeah. I thought episode... Four and five of series two was quite good. Yeah, I just, I feel like they've just, they're trying very hard to stay relevant and to kind of be edgy and different, which they were in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And now it just feels like they've not really kept up with the zeitgeist in the last 20 years. Yeah, it's almost a wee bit too try hard. Yeah. I know what you mean. However, I would still prefer to have it in our lives than oh, not. Oh, absolutely. Than not. So you... You wrote about Sex and City for your dissertation Mm -hmm. and then you have had a very successful career in journalism. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you, how do you unwind at night? Like what is your go-to book for unwinding? So if I, do you know, I quite like to, if I'm unwinding, I like to return to books that I've already read. Ah, interesting. Which I know some people will read a book and like you say, it's really nice to pass it on and Mm -hmm talk to someone about it I'm very much probably coming from the librarian thing <laughs> my book at my house is covered in books mm-hmm. I have endless amounts to the point where my partner's like can we really just start getting rid of some of these and I'm like <laughs> how Absolutely. dare you even suggest what what do you want me to do burn them <laughs> like you know he doesn't understand the like collection oh yeah also I think books are like they're markers. They're almost like a journal, mm-hmm. a diary of your life. Like I remember living in, I can tell you the books that I first read when I moved to London at the age of 21 because I didn't have any money to do anything. And, you know, all, <laughs> all I could afford to do was like read a book that someone had given me. So yes, they, they are markers in your life of where you are and how you're feeling. And, you know, did was it life before the boyfriend, life before yeah. your dog or, you know, so... Well, absolutely. I mean, I think in my 20s when I was single and dating all these awful men, if you're, if they're listening, they were all awful. <laughs> um, and I had wrote, I read all these books by women who were going through the same thing. Yeah. Um, but to go back to books that I return to and the ones that I take for or read for unwinding, mm-hmm. one of my ultimate favourites, and I don't know if this is embarrassing or not, but I've probably read it 20 times. Oof. Easily. It's very short. It's almost a novella. But it's My Life on a Plate 
by oh, India Knight. Right, okay. Have you so ever read it? I've not read it, but I know India Knight, obviously she's a journalist with the Sunday Times. Mm-hmm. So what's the premise? So I think it's somewhat autobiographical. Shock. There's <laughs> a running theme through the books that I like. Um, but it's a woman who is in her mid-30s. She has two youngish children and she is in a, not an unhappy marriage, but just a, a marriage, you mm-hmm. know? She's not really got that much of a connection with her husband anymore. They live very separate lives. She's a journalist. So um, it's just, oh, it is one of the funniest books I have ever read. I literally cackle, like very unattractive cackling out loud in cafes on the bus when I read this book. Wow. It's really simple premise. It's basically going through this woman's life as essentially her marriage is winding up and she's not realised that yet. Okay. But there's all these moments um, she goes to interview this young hot ballet dancer and makes a total tit of herself (laughs) and she's just trying to reconcile with this very modern family she has. Her parents are divorced and her dad then has gets a younger wife and all this. And it's just very much an examination of life mm-hmm. and how you feel and the choices you make. And I guess whether you're making the right decisions. Mm-hmm. She's very much throughout it is questioning and it's all about her self-confidence and finding herself. And it's just... It's got this charm and this wit to it mm-hmm. that I think Indian Knight does very well. Mm-hmm. Yes, she's definitely got that twinkle in her eye, mm-hmm. I think. So it's called My Life on a Plate. Yep. So how did you discover that? Did someone gift it to you? No, it came free in a magazine. Ugh. Do you know, I think Glamour and Cosmopolitan, do you remember they used yes. to have freebies? <laughs> and I think it came and my sister had gotten it. So many, and you know, I probably read this book before it was age appropriate, you know. <laughs> um, my probably 20 odd year old sister giving this book book to a 12 year old and I'm like oh what does any of this mean um but I loved it and there's okay I'll tell you about the scene that makes me laugh every time she's going on about this little boy who is like a friend of a friend's child and he's called Sammy and Sammy spends a lot of time being looked after by an elderly woman and so this child is obsessed with cups of tea Mm -hmm. and there's this scene where they leave the little boy who's also a very pudgy little toddler on this swing and her and the lead character and her friend they get distracted for a moment and the kid is just swinging backwards and forwards having the time of his life and all these other mothers in the park are looking at him like you are awful you've just abandoned this child (laughs) and they pick him up and Sammy's just like Sammy want tea because Sammy talks in third person (laughs) milk and shoot three sugars please (laughs) and like to this day when I order a cup of tea from my sister if like I'm at her house order like as if I'm paying her (laughs) I'll be like milk and three sugars please I don't even take that it's just an inside joke with us that's so funny I love it that's funny it's not the most highbrow choice but if you want something to just pure escapism yeah. It's perfect. No, that sounds great. And, you know, you just reminded me, um, one of the most terrifying books I ever received as a freebie on a magazine, because, mm. you know, when you go to, well, I used to go to the airport and buy, I'd, I'd buy the magazines if it had a free gift, mm-hmm. like sunglasses, books, you name it. And it was GQ and it was Cormac McCarthy's The Road. I haven't read it. I mean, I couldn't read it. And then I went to the <laughs> cinema to watch the film and I, it's the only film I've ever walked out of because it was so Dark, really? Uh-huh. Why would weird. you give that away free in a magazine? I know. It was... I feel like that should be light reading. Absolutely, absolutely. What's your go-to for holidays? Like, have you have you been on holiday recently? Have you read any 
brilliant holiday beach reads? You know, I I will read everything and anything. And you know how some people get a bit snobby about beach reads? Mm -hmm. If you can read a book in a day, fantastic. Exactly, yep. There's nothing better. If I go on a seven-day holiday, I will read seven books. Yeah. I'll have one a day and I'll just tear through them. I'm quite a fast reader. Are you Kindle or? Oh, no, 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 no. Paperback all the way. That's the right answer, Alice. I can't can't understand it. And you know, there's actually been studies to say that have proven people ingest and take on less of the story and remember less of the book when they read on Kindle compared to paper. Oh, yes. Love that. How could I be a librarian's daughter and be like, oh, yes, I'm just going to transfer all my books onto this (laughs) soulless piece of plastic? (laughs) Totally. And part of the joy of a great book is going to a bookshop. And even if you don't buy anything or a library and having a nosy, the smell, but also the cover artwork. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what really bugs me sometimes when I'm on like the tube or something. Because I'm like, oh, I wonder what they're reading, you know, because you can't tell if it's a Kindle. Not too long ago, I interviewed this amazing woman, Louise Wilder, I think her name is. And she wrote a book all about blurbs because she spent 25 years writing blurbs for Penguin. Alice, I read your piece. Was it in the Sunday Post? Yep. Yep, I read that. I thought that was fascinating. Honestly, the things she could tell you about digesting a book down into these tiny little paragraphs, I couldn't recommend her book enough. It's called Blurb Your Enthusiasm. And so if you love books, you'll love it because she talks about all these classic ways that they used to sell books to people and that all came from the covers, right? They say don't judge a book by its cover, but that's exactly what people do when they go in the bookshop. It's amazing how the artwork can really, you know, persuade or dissuade Mm -hmm. you from from buying a book. Like recently I read Yellow Face and I didn't like the cover, Mm. but I still bought it because... I liked the colour of it. I just didn't like the design. And I hoovered it and I loved it. Have you read it? No, I haven't. You should read it. It's special. It's set in publishing. Mm-hmm. So it's about two friends. One friend um, is a super talented, successful, celebrated author. Mm-hmm. The other, not so much. Um, she wants to be where the really successful one is and is quite resentful to her. They meet up. The really successful one basically chokes and dies. Oh my gosh. And the other friend steals the manuscript <gasps> that she's been working on, right? And she tries to pass it off as her own. So this is about, you know, there's cliffhanger after cliffhanger after cliffhanger because you're not sure whether she's going to get found out. Mm-hmm. She's also, she's having to do all these podcasts and interviews and things and people are asking really, you know, deep questions. Is she going to be able to keep the facade up but it's also about cultural appropriation because the girl who steals the story is from a different background from the actual author so it's really cleverly done and I've not really read anything like that before I mean both the characters all the characters were utterly dislikable (laughs) but really clever because you're thinking like you know could you pass off someone else's work as your own Mm, depends how much money I'd be offered. <laughs> if we're talking like a six-figure book deal, I mean, no, I couldn't. I couldn't. No. I mean, I think, I'd feel too guilty. Yeah, that's the thing. I think some people have more integrity than others, and that's what this is about. It's about integrity. It's mm. about theft. It's about creativity. Yeah. Authors oh, pour so much of their themselves into books. I just don't see how you could pass it off as your own. 
everyone has a different tone of voice, a different way of writing, different inflections. I think that you, if I read something and it had, say, it was my work and it had someone else's byline, I think it'd be very obvious to someone that mm-hmm. reads my work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I recently got sent a copy of... And I've not read it, and I've, I will not read it, but I will recycle it. Shirley Ballas um, from Strictly, you know, she was the judge, and she's written a book called Murder on the Dance Floor. But she's not, I know, could it be more obvious? She's not written it. I do wonder about this, ghostwriting. So, but her take on it, because I was like, mm, I mean, I'm not going to read it because it's not, I'm not the target audience and there's so many other amazing mm. books to be discovered. But I quite admired her openness about it because she basically said look I'm not a writer Mm -hmm. however I've got all these great stories so obviously I'm going to find an amazing writer to write about my stories and I thought yeah actually that makes sense Mm. do you know what I mean I do get it but then I feel for these ghost writers and ghost authors who probably you know they'll get a one-time fee I mean I guess it depends on how well they negotiate but must be a bit sad to put your heart and soul into something, work really hard. I mean, like, I've never written a book. Can you imagine sitting mm-hmm. down and working on something for a year or longer mm-hmm. and then someone else's name is on yeah. it? And it's almost like a surrogate pregnancy, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> That's the perfect analogy. And have you ever <laughs> ghostwritten for anyone? I have, I have, yes. <laughs> I used to write a column. I'll have to leave it nameless. Yes. I don't know if this is an inside... I'm going to get in trouble for this. This is an inside journalism thing thing um, that basically celebrities don't really write their own columns. It's quite few and far between unless they are a writer themselves. And even then, sometimes some poor staffer or intern is probably sending them a list of questions at the start of the week. But yeah, I used to write a weekly column for a very well-known Scottish celebrity oh. and you know what I loved doing it <laughs> I really did did you love it because you could be that person no I loved it because they were so nice ah uh-huh. okay and we formed this really great friendship I think we would speak every single week for like half an hour to an hour and we just touched on so many different topics and politics and romance and you name it and mm-hmm. it was always about stories that were in the news that week And I just loved it. Mm -hmm. I feel like when you do that kind of job, you get to know someone so incredibly well Mm -hmm. because they're sharing their innermost thoughts and feelings. And they might not always make it into the copy, but they're in your head, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And without naming names, has this person recently released a novel? Possibly. (laughs) (laughs) Should play the yes-no game. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Could could I... um, I will plead the fifth on that <laughs> and, and not make any further comment. <laughs> so when you're not ghostwriting columns mm. and um, writing opinion pieces for papers like the Sunday Post, what other types of projects do you work on? Do you know, I always say to people, and this is a bit derogatory of myself, but I'm like, I'm a bit of a master. What, what, what's the Jack phrase? of all trades, master of none. However, I think that's an entirely outdated phrase, Alice. So, Do you know what I think they use now? Portfolio career. Exactly. Or, no, what's the other one? Oh, man, what's the word? Emma Gannon wrote a book about it. It's called, it's not called hybrid, multi-hyphenate. Multi-hyphenate, that's me. There you go. So I am a part-time florist. 
I went to call. I love learning. Mm -hmm. Other than reading, always doing courses. I've done pottery, photography, calligraphy, other things not ending in A. A. (laughs) Um, But I did floristry a couple of years ago at college as a night course and I loved it so much. Mm -hmm. So now I do that on the side. I do weddings for friends and family, which Mm -hmm. is like really rewarding. Um, Freelance journalism. So I write about everything and anything. I do news shifts. You name it. It's really nice. But um, it's quite nice to have lots of different creative outputs. Definitely. And it's funny, like the word freelance kind of conjures up different things to different people. Mm. But for me, the prefix of the word free, Mm -hmm. I attach to freedom. Because I think, of course, there's ups and downs with being, you know, self-employed or freelance or part-time or full-time. There's, you know swings and roundabouts but the freedom to be able to to do what you want when you want is absolutely I mean I can come and talk about books on a Tuesday afternoon fantastic yeah rather than being chained to a desk absolutely and just to wrap up if I could ask you one last question of course if you were to write a book Mm. what would it be and why because you and I both um, used to work for a newspaper. Mm-hmm. We have colleagues like Claire Johnson, who's written a book. Lisa Gray, who's written... Oh my God, a, she's sold a million books now. Yeah, amazing. You know, everybody thinks, I think, that they want to write a book. What's your take on that? They, if they do say everyone has a book in them, don't they? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I find it difficult to stick to deadline when I'm doing a weekly column <laughs> or, you know, writing a feature. Mm-hmm. I don't, that's more to do with my procrastination than anything. Oh, yes, the dishes must be done now rather than <laughs> writing or transcribing. Anyway, I think that I, I've always, because in my 20s, I spent a long time single, and you'll know this from when you work, we worked together. Mm-hmm. I have so many stories. I'd love to do something very. Similar to like a Dolly Alderton type mm-hmm. feel. Like she's obviously done nonfiction and fiction. Yeah. And I love the way she writes. And I love the way she examines people and their actions and why they behave their in certain ways. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I feel like I have all these stories of horrific men <laughs> and horrific dates <laughs> and just cringeworthy moments that, you know, if you share them, other people will feel less bad about the fact that they've also been stood up or ghosted from two desks away. <laughs> Let's not name names. Mm, I could. Um, <laughs> the, that's, that's a really good point because one person who's been a huge success at that is Sophie Gravia. Mm-hmm. Have you read any of her books? I haven't, but Glasgow Kiss is on my list. Okay, so I have read all three and I know Sophie quite well because she's been along to some of my book events and I've sort of helped her with PR and whatnot. She's written these phenomenal best-selling books, which, um, I mean, she's kind of broken the genre because what she's done is she's come up with this trilogy of rom-com gone wrong. Oh, I love it. So she's kind of like the Scottish Bridget Jones, Mm -hmm. working class, meets Jackie Collins. And it's... It is filthy, it's funny, it's not for the vain-hearted, but she's just become such a huge success because, mm. you know, she's a single mum, mother of two, she works full-time for the NHS in a high-dependency renal unit. I don't know how she finds the time, but she's got a real gift for comedy. You know, you were speaking earlier about the Indian Night book that mm-hmm. just made you laugh. That's what Sophie's managed to do with these books, um, is really make me laugh. It's very hard to do. I know, and that's the thing. It's a real, real gift. So, 
I mean, you know, you love sex in the city, so mm-hmm. maybe, you know, maybe it's the confessions of a 30-something something. <laughs> dog mum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why don't you write about your dog? Oh, the adventures of Hamish. Yes. It'd just be him doing naughty things all day, like peeing on the bed and <laughs> refusing to walk or chewing something, oh. anything he can get his hands on. Pause. Alice, it was great to have you on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for having oh, me. Please come back. And if you do come back, will you bring Hamish? I will. I will. I don't know what his takes on literature will be like, <laughs> but he'll try his best. <laughs> <laughs> Big thanks to my guests and the biggest thanks to you for listening. New episodes drop every Thursday. And if you'd like to contact me, please email heather at thebookalchemist.com.